0: Hey, small business heroes. Welcome to day one of the Latitude Accountants podcast. Here at Latitude Accountants, we believe that the small business owner is the hero of our community, and we are fortunate enough to interact with hundreds of small business heroes every single day. In this podcast, we'll be showcasing our local small business heroes and talking all things business, money, and tax. On today's episode, I'm joined by John Sard. John is a founding partner here at Latitude Accountants, having come through the mid tier ranks and starting Latitude accountants alongside Tufik and Richard at a tender age of 26. As the story goes, John had no money to offer, just a will to succeed and business value to add. Since then, Latitude has grown from strength to strength, going from a whopping, get ready for it, zero dollars in revenue day one, to seven figures and beyond. Today, we get the unique perspective of not only the founder and active business owner, but a small business accountant who has grown their own business and advised hundreds if not thousands of others. Finally on a personal note, John is someone who has mentored me through my career and an operator I very much look up to. So with all that being said, John, welcome to Day 1 and today's podcast. Thanks, mate. How are you going? I'm going good. That's a bit
1: of an introduction. I'm, <laughs> I'm a bit blown away. I don't seem to look at myself, you know, in
0: in that way, but you know. Thank you. You're welcome, mate. Um so to kick it off, I sort of want to uh, get behind the scenes and go back to where it all began. So for starters, why don't you tell me about a little bit about where you grew up, your school, your family upbringing, the family dynamic, your early childhood memories. Talk to me. Yeah, of course. Okay. So
1: my background is, um, uh, Lebanese. So my, my grandfather on both sides, um, immigrated to Australia post-World War II. And, um, we grew up in Western Sydney in, you know, typical immigrant families, big Lebanese immigrant families we had you know everything was about being together food fun um a big community vibe and um and we went through uh, my childhood was sort of working out that identity of you know being Australian as well as being coming from an immigrant family and and growing up in that multicultural society.
0: Very cool very cool and um so we go from your early childhood, you, you're from that, uh, the Western Sydney upbringing, something we always uh, have a bit in common, uh, the working class sort of sort of life. Um, who were you in high school? If I was to describe yourself in high school, were you the yeah. popular kid? Were you the chess nerd? What, what were you in high school?
1: Yeah, it's, it's one of those things. So for me, like on the childhood, everything we did was pretty much around um, rugby league. So sport was, it was pretty much in winter we were playing rugby league. Um, whether that was club, school, football, you know, representing uh, state, where, you know, wherever that was. And then um, cricket in summer, so so backyard cricket, playing, um, you know, cricket on the road, running amok with, with people in the community. In high school, I was, um, I'd say, pretty confident. Uh, my cousin likes to say to me, uh, hey, cuz, I think you peaked in high school. So, <laughs> so, so I, I, you know, I look back at high school with fond memories. I was... In leadership roles, um, captain, vice captain of the school, captain of the footy team. So I was quite academic. Um, you know, I was popular with guys, with girls. So like, I look back at that time with pretty fond memories. I was very competitive as a kid. So I guess coming from that strong family environment, um, also a little bit uh, coming from my dad being an immigrant here, um, instilled in me like a you know work hard, you have to earn everything type of you know ethos into my childhood. So that translated into everything so trying my best academically um but also performing in rugby league you know you have to make the reps teams you have to you have to wait like it wasn't a I don't know so late 90s early 2000s it wasn't really a participation award type of uh environment it was you know reward for effort um like my biggest actually like childhood memories wise one of my sort of mini traumas, you know, something I might have to work through with a a psychiatrist one day was finishing rugby league games and the fear of my dad's critique of my game, like on the drive home, that was actually, I was more scared of like what my dad was going to say about how I played footy than the opposition or getting hurt on the field or getting smashed. Like I had no fear of of getting hurt playing football or or getting injured. The fear was if I get off, and dad's got to be like, why did you miss this tackle? Why didn't you go harder? You know, that's, they're, they're the sorts of things that like formed my childhood and and, and we had to be tough. So <clears throat> linking in with like Western Sydney, Lebanese immigrant background, it's, we grew up in Greenacre, um, Bankstown. So, you know, it's, a, it's a part of Sydney. Um, for those that don't know Sydney, it's, it's just got a reputation of being, you know, not the ghetto, but just rough. It's like the heartland of, of gangs um you know immigrant gangs middle eastern gangs um so we always had to have this uh, not even a facade but like genuinely we had to be tough so you know the neighbors the people that we interacted with you couldn't really show that you had weakness in any way so that translated into me being um a tough kid and that that was sort of mixed in with um You know what my parents generations uh what my parents faced when they came to a new country was like trying to um uh, mix in and they you know felt a little bit of like maybe racism or things like that so they they built this tough exterior about who they were they passed that on to us so high school definitely was like very competitive um i look back at it with fond memories um and um, it was it was a really good part of life. I, I wish I say it often, like, if I you could give, I'll give you all the money I have to go back to year seven, like day one, and do it all again, and and you know mainly to just you know capture all the opportunities I missed. It was a good time.
0: How good? That sounds like a uh, an incredible upbringing, and it's something I think like we can all relate to that time where uh, you're competitive, you're in high school, you're doing your best, and you know what? Part of the reason I ask that question is. Um, this has so much carry over into what you do as a business owner. And it's safe to say, by the way, you didn't peak in high school because you were, you. <laughs> you went on to achieve some pretty cool things after that. Um, but um, through through the lessons you learned by the grit, the competitiveness, um, being tough, all of those things tend to help you in business. And I'm sure we'll touch on uh, a little bit about that later. But I'm always curious to hear how the upbringing affected the entrepreneur and, and the founder. And, and there's always some sort of link. There's always some sort of moment. Uh, so I'm glad you touched on a lot of those uh, memories that I'm sure uh, a lot of people will be able to uh, to relate to. So you're, you're the you're, you're the school captain. You're in leadership positions. Um, you're, you're growing your your personality. You're growing that grit and, and the toughness. Um, tell me about why the heck <laughs> when when you're going through all those experience, you decide to be an accountant. It, it, it somewhat relates to more of a you know. Um, I don't know when i think of that story i don't think accountant so You're i'd love construction to, probably You're thinking, I, yeah. this is a guy who's
1: in construction he's a tradie let's you know see it. I mean? let's it's
0: develop and let's uh yeah. you know let's let's go for it but tell me about why he decided to become an accountant after that
1: yeah no very good so um i i joined the uh in high school also a youth group so part of the backstory, the you know the many parts of john sidey was the the church element and um there was a girl there that i really liked so um i i, I thought I want to impress this girl and you know it was a bit of a disney thing like i just found myself falling in love and like i'm in love with this girl at church and um i started looking around and i realized that although we were not we were not poor growing up um we were broke it's it's a little bit different <laughs> I, i'm trying to i'm trying to i've been trying to think about what the difference is it's like we always had everything we needed Yeah. um, um i think that the main dis- distinction is that Um, the difference between poor and broke is like my dad was around. Yeah. So my dad was always around, which means there was always a way out. Um, so I grew up, you know, with very loving parents. We always had, I was a little bit too well fed at some some stages. So we had everything, but we had, we didn't have the luxury types of things. And then we had one, um, you know, my exit. So like, I'm as a kid in that community, you're you're looking around and you're seeing who's successful. So I'm in this, um, you know. Western Sydney side, most people drove around in, you know, ex Ford Falcon taxi conversions and, you know, Toyota Taragos. And like the status symbol was the car you drove. And we had one family friend um, who was an accountant and um, she drove a brand new Grand, Cher- uh, Grand Cherokee, right, a Jeep Grand Cherokee, mm. and I love the thing. Mm. And um, the girl I wanted to impress invited me to her formal um, from church. So I thought, okay, how am I going to take her to a formal? i would got my license, I have my P's or whatever by this stage. I thought I'll ask my family friend our friend um to borrow their their jeep so i'm a kid in school can i borrow your brand new jeep grand (laughs) cherokee it's worth maybe you know a hundred thousand dollars whatever it is yeah and um i'll take her to the formal you know and like all those things happen so for whatever stupid reason they said yeah of course you can borrow our our car and you know as a kid and take your girlfriend to you girl you like to the formal yeah um and they had a brand you know beautiful uh, brand new built house and like they had all the status symbols of, of success my dad was more working class like he was a small business owner he had taxi business truck like you know works as a truck driver so we were always like a lot of love uh, a beautiful family community environment but like never had the real luxury type things and then this family had brand new house beautiful car and i'm like what she do for it? she's an accountant um you know maybe if i persist become an accountant i didn't at all think about myself personality wise i wasn't thinking you know what are my strengths weaknesses i was like here's the target i want to be successful i want to have what society perceives as uh, success and i want to have a nice house and car and i want to marry this girl and i want to you know make my way in the world so that's just it's it's a means to an end it's like i'll become an accountant i'll be able to get the girl, you know, live happily ever after in
0: my Disney fantasy. How Good. No, that's, uh, that's perfect. And I actually want to, I want to touch on that point as well. The, the reason I asked that question is year 12, you're, how old are you? 17 years old. Does anyone really know a, what they're good at B <coughs> who they, you know, what, what career is going to suit their personality trade and whatnot. Pretty much all you know, and and you touched on it in year 12 is that you knew you wanted to be successful. You saw the car, you saw the house. That's you you had a dream and that's really important as well. But I've always said there's a there's a disconnect between I'm in year 12 and I have to select what I'm going to be doing for the next 40 to 50 years of my life. And I don't even know who I am as a person. I haven't even done a SWOT analysis yeah. on, on myself. So there has to be between that year 12 and that uni period. I've always said I'm a big advocate of taking that year to just work out what you want to do. And I don't mean work out what you want to do by go travel Europe and, uh, and have a gap year and, yeah. and and find yourself. I'm more talking, go spend two to three months working in an accounting firm and just getting as much experience as you can for anyone that's willing to hire you. You don't need to get paid. You just need to go in there and get some experience. Then you go to a law firm and then you go to um, work for a construction business and just shadow them and truly understand what you're suited to. Um, And then you can actually make a decision on what you want to do in life. Fortunately for you, it works out. And what I actually find for most high achieving, high performing people They'll make it work in any industry that they're thrown into. So regardless of whether you are a natural born accountant or you're a natural born um, builder or whatever, we have people in our team that I look at and think you were born to be an accountant. I think for someone like you and I, um, the skills could be transferable into many different industries, but the persistence and the grit that you built up at a young age got you into a position where you decided to be an accountant. You knew you wanted to make something of yourself and you just persisted and put the grit in and put in the hours to get good enough at the skill to then become confident and competent and to be able to do the role uh, at, a, at a highly effective level. And that's another thing, um, I think as well, in that um, the whole idea of finding your passion and, and and things like that, You the better you get at something, the more passionate you will be at something. Um, there's a guy, I can't remember his name, but talks about um, if, if everyone was finding their passion, there'd be um, very few people doing the hard, Ugly, tough jobs uh, in society, so um, that aren't as sexy as you know the, the passion sort of driven ones. So uh, it's important to uh, it's important to a figure out what you're doing, but b jumping in like you did into the accounting role because you you know I have an end game in mind. Accounting is is the vehicle uh, that's going to help me get there, um, and so I'll just get good at it and I'll transfer my skills into that. So uh, I'm glad I'm glad uh, I'm glad we learned a little bit about you there um and then so you're an accountant you end up in the mid tiers uh you worked at a mid-tier firm how did that all play out Uh, i think you were at uni at the time you you, tell me a bit about that that journey yeah
1: so um finished the hsc applied for a few cadetships i got in for a couple places but the one i really wanted to work for was a firm just still around called hall chadwick which is where i did my you know apprenticeship in accounting (laughs) Uh, i I got the cadetship there and uh, turned down the other ones and and uh, decided to turn up there um speaking to what you just said it's f- like uh my dad instilled in me so you, you have to finish what you start yeah. like he hammered me as a kid finish what you start finish what you start i didn't care you know what you do but finish what you start like he he pushed in like this perseverance type attitude it's tied in with the immigrant work ethic and everything yeah. else but like finish what you start so i i found like a savior for me was always to um Pursue something through to excellence level, and then decide if this is where you need to be or not. And I'm lucky. Luckily for me, accounting is one of those things that takes decades to hit, Absolutely. you know, um, real expert level on. So um, this was going to be a long apprenticeship in in accounting. Um, it's, it's something that I've been, you know, now approaching twenty years in the field. Uh, I still find myself learning new things every day. Um, <clears throat> But another part of my childhood that sort of formed my thinking on on where I go from the mid tier, it, it was I really looked at it as an apprenticeship. It wasn't about the money. My yeah. first paycheck when I got to there uh, was uh, after tax was three hundred and twenty two dollars. Okay, <laughs> big bucks. Yeah, so I had a I had a Ford Falcon, which was a V like a six uh, a straight six four liter Ford Falcon, and yeah. petrol was approaching two bucks a liter. I remember once. Literally half my paycheck. One of my first paychecks was filling up the Falcon with petrol, just getting from uni to work. Right. That's so good. Well, that's yeah. why they
0: did the LPG conversion. That's right? why we need. Yeah. yeah, but I was one of the yeah.
1: lucky. Like I was one of the high-end yeah. um oh yeah wow. high-end uh, Lebanese kids because I didn't have a, a a gas conversion in my boot yeah. I had two um 12 inch subs for my sound system you know <laughs> yeah, what I mean so, yeah, absolutely so that which we money don't well. have
0: nowadays There's where no, are the subs I honestly I, I'm so let down with the lack of sound systems yeah. in cars nowadays. the factory ones are so good that we don't we do no longer need, need yeah, yeah the wiring you do it yourself under yeah. the carpet I know right? subs with no with no nothing else but bass i don't uh, uh, need any yeah, other speakers that's it. just
1: turn trouble turn everything else now <laughs> base maximum i <laughs> remember it. i had two 12 inch subs i had two 1000 watt amps How i had good. two six by nines little tweeters like all yeah. these things and i put i decked out my car myself yeah so that's you know yeah that's another thing but the pe- the 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 paycheck was never the thing it was yeah. And I was lucky. I grew up in a generation just a little bit, you know, older than the current generation, where I wasn't exposed to social media, where get rich quick was was there. It was like it's normal if you want to succeed, you have to go put in ten years. Don't even the money is just not not the point. Who cares about money? We grew up broke anyway. Money's not important. Do you know what I mean? Go learn something so that you can build later. One of the the really good things my dad taught me as well uh, he, one of the really good books he made me read as a kid there you go. rich dad poor dad robert kiyosaki you right? read that as a kid? yeah i read that in wow. probably 20 year 11 and it stuck with me when he said profits are better than wages wow so so being in the mid-tier i think deep down subconscious it was always going to be about being in small business um, but i can't get there unless i'm qualified unless i know what i'm doing so dive right in work as hard as I can, learn as much as I can, because one day um, I'm going to be a small business owner and I'm going to work with small business owners because yeah. profits are better than wages. Who cares what wages I'm getting paid right now? The point is I need to learn. So I was a sponge that like seven, eight years I was working there. You know, um, I had very good relationships with with people there even after I left, my boss, my managers, the partners there, um, because they taught me everything I know about accounting. And um, they gave me a really good platform to to go out and start my own
0: firm one day awesome i love that i love the um you 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 always mention that you're not paid with dollars you're paid with knowledge um and if you make that investment into yourself acquiring knowledge acquiring the know-how it'll pay off in the long term and you're making yourself more valuable um whether it's as an employee whether it's as a business owner the more you can take in the more value you're going to be able to add and money is Really, just flows to the point of highest value. So I'm actually surprised, uh, and I'm I'm that's I'm fascinated by that. You read Rich Dad Poor Dad uh, yeah. when you were a kid. That if I could recommend that to a hundred out of a hundred people, I would, and especially to read that at a young age. Yeah, there's another book speaking on that. You know what? Uh, you know I love a good book. So <laughs> yeah, it, it's touching on what you said. There's a book called Robert, uh, from Robert Greene called Mastery, and it also talks about accounting is one of those skills where you have to spend 10, 15, 20 years really investing into. I remember when I was in uh, in the later stages, or mid to later stages of uni and I thought, I don't know about this whole accounting thing, I don't know if it's for me. Um, and I remember my dad saying, like, you're just getting started, like stick with it, go in there for the, for the long term. You need to soak up the information. You need to get good at something. Just focus on getting good at something and it'll pay off in the long term. So um, no, I think it's an excellent story. Thanks for sharing that with us, John. All right, John, so you're in the mid uh, you're soaking up all the information, you're getting good at your craft. How do you then decide, okay, now it's time to start Latitude Accountants. Um, how do you make that transition?
1: Yeah, so I guess it was a big race up to qualification. So I'd finished uni, um, I got married really young and that was premature financially. So I'd racked up a lot of debt. I probably had 50 grand of credit card debt. Oh, yeah. I'd travelled i done all the things that I wanted to do without having the money to do them. But I always in the back of my mind, it wasn't like chaos, it was a plan. It was like, I make less money now than I know I'm gonna make in the future. So I'm just gonna borrow some of that money. It's a mistake that a lot of small business owners make where they're borrowing from the future. I That's said, right. I just need a little bit more money now. I'll, I'll rack up a bit of debt, <clears throat> get married. Um, same time I I'd, I'd, uh, graduated, I'd finished a chartered accounting program, I'd become a tax agent. So now I'm fully qualified and i'm working in a job where i need to spend a little bit more time if i was being honest to become an expert Mm. but you know i knew enough to be dangerous in accounting so i convinced myself that i was gonna go out and work for a smaller um, suburban firm for a little bit and then start up my own accounting business and go into that full time that plan got really fast forwarded because friends who I'd worked with in the mid tier who I'd known all my life through church and, and, um, you know, as friends, they decided they were going to start their own firm at this at that time. So I'd been in a smaller suburban firm for no, no more than six months. And they're like, we're starting a firm and I got in touch with them. And that's, you know, where I said, guys, I've got them together. I said, guys, I don't have any money. <laughs> I'm actually in debt, um, but I'm a very good accountant. I'm a very good salesman. I'm very good. You know, I can bring a lot of value to this. I'm a great operator. Um, you, you, know, I did really well in the mid tier. I was one of the, you know, shining star employees, you know, earmark for partnership and all They were very disappointed when I left, mm. like my boss was really upset. Um, but they had like a 10 year plan for me and I had a two week plan for me <laughs> to be, you know, to, to run my own show yeah. a little bit overconfident, a little bit too eager, Absolutely. but as we all are at 25, 26. So I got in touch with the guys. I said, you guys want to start an accounting firm. We're all fully qualified. We know each other. We trust each other. Let's do this thing together i'll do sweat equity i'll do all the work i'll get uh, i'll find an office i'll lease it i'll I'll help build the thing i'll build it with my own hands i came first in year 10 woodwork and technique so i've got <laughs> good hand skills as well you know i can yeah. do things like that i'll build the whole thing i'll organize a server i'll organize software you guys just rock up at, in feb give me the money so give me 50 grand i'll have it running so this is like this is the end of 2011 so give me 50 grand by first of feb we'll be have a fully functional business signage trade you know trading open I'll make sure we get our first five clients and they're like all right you're crazy we don't have a single client you want us to put money in and start a business I'm like don't worry I've got a plan so overconfident maybe stupid some would say but sometimes that confidence pays off and you learn from your mistakes and and you jump in so the life pressure was, man, I, I'm not making enough money as an employee. Like the accounting pathway to make good money is a bit longer than the amount of time I had paying my credit card at 18%. So I've got this opportunity. Um, sometimes you just got to jump in. So I said, I'll jump in. The guys trust me. Both guys are a little bit older than me. So they had a little bit more credibility in that, you know, in that sense. And um, they had money. So you just need a bit of money to, you know, grease the wheels and get, the, get things turning. And um, it worked out, I'd say, you know, perfectly. Hundred percent. Latitude and Accountants was born.
0: <laughs> that's it, awesome story. And um, I was I was thinking about this the other day. There's once you when you're a you, so you go through as a cadet, you do your you, you finish your uni, you get your CA, and there's really like I'd say around three paths or three or four paths that you can go f- to from there. One is to become a partner at the firm, especially if you're in a mid-tier firm. A lot of people have aspirations to become a partner and do the time and uh, and eventually get to that partnership level. Uh, the other is to go out and start your own business. So that's obviously the option you took. Uh, the other is to go commercial. So what you see is a lot of chartered accountants once they become CAs. Go into commercials. There's a bit more money in commercial at that age, uh, I think as well. And uh, it's a different skill set. So a lot of people like getting that skill set. And then probably the fourth option is to can accounting altogether and go. Do you know what? I've got my CA. I've gotten all the knowledge. Uh, ironically, Phil Knight from uh, from Nike, the and he wrote Shoe Dog, was actually an accountant. Um, so he he did the whole accounting thing. And and people say accounting is one of those things where it gives you that floor. It gives you that level of I could probably make you know, up to you know, sort of six figures now that I've got my CA and now that I'm qualified and now that I have that experience. So it just gives me a floor and a leverage point for anything else I want to do in life. And a lot of career paths actually provide a lot of professional services actually provide that. So, and for anyone listening, there's no right option. Like you'd you probably said like you started the business and that was what worked for you. But I could have imagined that you could have also went through the mid-tier ranks and potentially become a partner in the mid-tier world. So, it's one of those things where rather than have that analysis paralysis just pick one stick to it give it enough time and and naturally these things will uh if, if you've got that hard work ethic mm. um it's gonna it's gonna come to fruition so i'm glad you touched on that now it's, on. it's
1: interesting that you talk about the missing information and like you mentioned earlier like the the, the gap year like go work yeah. out what you need to do mm-hmm. So part of the analysis for me to get into accounting was um, this is a good way to to bridge the gap with the missing information. I'm like, when I say to people, hey, I want to be an accountant, teachers, friends at school, family, they're like, oh, we see you as a teacher, we see you as a footy player, we see you as something else Mm -hmm. insert whatever they did and they placed me in that role (laughs) for whatever reason. And I said, yeah, it's all good. I'm just going to become an accountant because when I'm an accountant, I get to see everyone's books. I'm going to have all the information. And then when I grow up, I'll decide what I want to do. And like, I think that's, that's what accounting is. It's a little bit like a lot of people come into accounting and then they realize, Oh, you can make money in construction. You can make money in, um, you know, working having government contracts. That you, you, you see everything like it's everything's out in the open. And like I'm going to go do that now. And and the exit path is is common. 100%. But yeah, but for me, it's I doubled down and I said no. This is exactly where I need to be, and this is exactly who I am, and I and I love doing this.
0: Absolutely, and that's that's actually one of the things that draws me towards accounting. In that I remember when I was a junior, we used to have a lot of high net worth individuals. And I used to just see what their share portfolio was (laughs) and And buy uh, the same shares. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And or, you know, and and honestly, the moment um, numbers were actually driven by stories, that's when accounting really clicked for me in that when when I was a junior, I was just looking at every trial balance was just a bunch of numbers and they had to match a certain document. So the bank had to match the bank statement. But then when I realised the bank balance actually had something tangible to someone's life. And that the numbers of a business really tells a story about where the business is going and what the business owner is trying to do, and and that's something we really try to instill in our juniors to say these aren't just numbers on a spreadsheet; these are people's lives, these are people people's businesses, and that's some of the insight you get as an accountant. And it's so funny because on social media, everyone is crushing it in life. There's so much. We live in that era of you're just showing the high times, you're showing the positive, uh, you're showing the best times of the business. But then when we look at the numbers behind even some of these businesses that w- we would appear to be doing well on social media, it's not as glamorous as uh, as was at once appeared to be. And that numbers are very honest, um, but uh, it's, it's just one of those things which is crazy to see that insight as an accountant. Um, very cool. All right. So, um, you start latitude accountants, you have no money, you got the work ethic. Um, you got a couple of business partners. Tell me about, and you just off the cuff said, you know, I'll go get the five clients. I'll go get the office. I'll go do this. I'll do that. What does it mean to get your first five clients? I always think about this, right? For, for someone who's wanting to start their business, right? They have the idea and, and off they go, they get their ABN. They might get their structure in place at best. Um, what does it mean to get your first five employees? How are you getting it? You're knocking on doors. You're making the calls. What does that all mean? <clears throat> and, and how are you getting the systems and processes to back the sales up? You're 26 years old. How are people trusting you? Yeah. Like there's so many questions I have around that early three years. Tell me a little bit about that.
1: It's funny like you say that. At the time, it didn't seem unrealistic. At the time, I just felt like you just have to do what you have to do. And a little bit of that, Hardened mindset from my upbringing sort of spoke into that. Maybe I was a harder individual than what I give myself credit for. But um, the there was there was two main elements that really helped us um, in that time. It's that, well, uh, the two main things are we uh, what I'd call mistakes today, right? One was that we were doing doing work um, a lot more work than what we were getting paid for. And we're taking on a lot more risk than what we should have been taking on right so you're 25 years old and you're trying to start a business where you're advising people it's you got to be a little bit crazy to trust the 25 26 year old advisor on your financial situation your financial situation is linked to you keeping or losing your house feeding your kids you know losing all your life's work so there's there's there you're going to be in some maybe a little bit of a jam or find a deal that's too good to be true if you sign up with this young guy who just turns up at your doorstep and, and says, yeah, I can help you. There was an early client we signed up. It was literally day two in the business. And I got a call from a friend in uni. He said to me, John, um, my brother really needs help. Um, his brother was running a, a franchise, multinational franchise in spare parts. I won't say the name, but it was based in Bankstown. He goes, my brother's in trouble. I know, I heard that you're starting your own business. So the warm markets start, you know, working for you, family, friends. Can you go see i go yeah of course so tufik and i jump in the car go down to bankstown we go into this spare parts business go into the back office and we start asking the regular questions like vetting the client as you would so tell me a bit about your business yeah uh, mate guys i need help i haven't lodged my tax return in five years i haven't lodged my bass i go okay what's going on um i'm losing money uh, i owe super <clears throat> uh you know i haven't paid my employees super um uh, head office chasing me, I haven't paid franchise fees, I haven't paid uh, the lease. Uh, do you have an accountant? Uh, my last accountant fired me, uh, okay, do you have like company constitution documents, financials, nah, the previous accountant who I'm fighting with, you know, because I didn't pay his fees, didn't give them to my old accountant. Now, you look at this, like, it's he didn't fit the risk profile of a, of a rational person. He didn't fit the risk profile of a bike gang. <laughs> <laughs> Let alone an accounting firm, right? Like you <laughs> like know. like a self-respecting accountant would turn around and say, Look, it's probably not for me. <laughs> yeah. Get out. So me and Tufik sitting in this room and like everything he says is just like red flag, worse. Red flag, red flag, red flag. Red flag. <laughs> like this is a bad situation. So here you are, you're 25, you have no clients. It's day two in the business. You just signed the three year lease and yeah. all this, you're like, You start thinking, like, I'm looking at him, he's looking at me. We say to the guy, Do you mind if we just go have a chat for five (laughs) minutes? So this thing happens where like me and him trying to work out who's more crazy than the other person. You do the dance. Yeah, Yeah. we do the dance, like so. We go out and like it wasn't even it wasn't even a consideration. It was I just looked, I think I looked at Tufik and I said, Okay, he's a bad situation. He's like, Yeah, bad situation. And um, I said to him, how much do you think we should charge him? And typically goes, listen, we have to get at least 10 grand up front. This is a bad situation. So so a conversation today would be around, you know? Maybe not, like maybe this is is a high risk, audit risk, problems, legal risk, like you don't want to get involved. But back then, you're just like young buck. You got no clients, you you know, everything to gain, nothing to lose. So you find yourself working in risk profiles you don't want to work in. You build up a book of Mm. clients that are potentially a mess that yeah. you're cleaning up yeah. the other side of it was like when i started accounting in the mid tier there were accounting departments yeah. right so you had accounts payable accounts receivable yeah. finance accounts manager okay um cfo or financial controller like i'm literally working with the companies where they got five internal accountants it's bass time or tax or, or year-end tax return time they send you a burnt cd yeah. with the mild file on yes. it all right and we take the cd we put it in we get the PDFs or we get the bank statements, scan them in, they match. Yeah. We're going into small business. We thought it'd be a walk in the park. And and our pitch to small business owners was mm. listen, we work with big corporates, yeah. multinationals. Um, your your tobacco shop's gonna be easy. You know what <laughs> yeah, I mean? Yeah, like yeah. if I can do that, what do you, so we're yeah. we're acting bigger than what we are because yeah. we've come from a mid-tier background. And the other pitch was. Hey, we're going to give you a mid-tier service or a city service at a suburban price. Tag. I love that saying. <laughs> Do you yeah, know yeah. What I mean? yeah, so we're confident, yeah. overconfident, taking <laughs> too much risk, and then we're going from businesses that have accounts departments to businesses that don't even have accounting files. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know yeah. what I mean? Like yeah. they've got they got no zero, they've got yeah. no myob, they've got no nothing. Like zero wasn't this, even this in there. Pre-zero day. Pre-zero, right? Yeah. Like they've got no myob, they've got no QuickBooks. Yeah, yeah. Um, they don't have a cash book. Like even yeah. in the mid tier, if someone was like slow, like they were dinosaurs, they were slow to adopt technology. They bring yeah. in a big green cash book,
0: yeah. okay,
1: and they've written every transaction yeah. and they give you the statements. These guys were using the business bank accounts as the slush fund for their personal <laughs> life. <laughs> yeah. Okay, they haven't paid tax or they've paid ta- They've written buses that made up. Yeah. So we were in for uh, like a total, total new world, something that we did not expect that we were going to be up for. It was yeah. about cleaning mess and filth and, and 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 fixing everything up and trying to teach a whole new segment of society um, how to become compliant and like and as time went on that became more and more valuable as you know especially leading into eventually covid and all those sorts of things because we see, we see now that you don't exist unless you're you know compliant and you're in the system that-
0: 100% yeah, hundred percent. I'm glad. I'm glad you touched on the fact that small business is a world on its own. We both came through mid tier firms, and part of the reason I left a mid tier firm was I looked at the client base, and it just I didn't connect with these people. When I when I grew up, I looked at small business owners as the heroes, and I used to look up to. Um, in year nine, we had a horrendous. I did business studies, horrendous class. We went to public schools. And uh, all we did was watch uh, The Apprentice when Donald Trump was on The Apprentice back in the day, and I just looked up to the business owners. I always used to I was fascinated by business. And but when you're in corporate, it was high net worth individuals, people who had already made their money versus you go into this small business environment where it is, it is just a different ball game, And like you said, you go from a corporate firm, Mitzi firm, where I have admin doing my Finpac letters. I have a, a team that literally just goes in and creates company structures and trust structures. You go into the business world and you are the business, like you are everything. You're the one setting up the company constitution. You're the one doing the engagement letter. Yeah. You're the ones uh, sending out the fin pack letters, assay, <clears throat> everything. So just that experience. And I always say this, a small business accountant is so different to uh, a mid-tier accountant and you learn so much more about the small business when you're in the space. And even furthermore, growing your own small business, I'm sure as a business owner, you learnt a lot that you can then advise your clients on how to get those. So going through that risk profile of, okay, make sure when you start out, you naturally you're going to take on a bit more risk because you are that younger, naive, but it, it's, it's positive in itself, right? Like you, you wouldn't take away that naivety for the world because if you knew what business was genuinely like. As you look back, you may have never started the business to start off with. So there is an element of that naivety that actually helps you. Um, so um, no, it's, it's it's a different world, the small business world, and, I, and I'm glad we're in it. And I love um and I love it. And I and it's 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 so much it's brought so much more joy to my life seeing small business owners grow and their families grow. And we were able to be a part of that journey uh, as opposed to the mid-tier client who the high net worth probably knows we talk about yeah. this a lot as well. In that we, having built small businesses and having advised hundreds and probably even thousands of small businesses, we know the journey. We've walked the path, so it's easy to give advice when I know I know the problem. I, I've seen that problem. I solved it in my own business. Yep. Versus yep the high net worth. I don't know what it's like to be worth That's twenty right. million dollars. The, the,
1: the thing, the thing for me, it's it hits home, right? My yeah. my dad was a small business owner um, in taxis and trucks and things like that. And what I found once I was in the mid tier, I'm like, these, these, there's a certain level of business. There's a certain echelon where they have access to help, to advice, to systems processes that people that are really in small business don't have, don't can afford or don't have access to. And, and it hit home for me because when my dad's taxi business failed, uh, we like we lost everything in a sense. Uh, we didn't lose what what mattered. We yeah. still had each other, and, and that was important. But we had we. My dad lost his house, and yeah. business failed, and you know had had to go through all that. And if, when I look back on that, I'm like, oh, that was that was avoidable, yeah. right? So yeah. I, I look back at that experience of losing. Uh, family home for small you know mm. as a result of small business failure and i'm like there's a gap there mm. and there's a need there mm. where where we need to we need to work with small business owners so they're structuring things right, properly so that their kids don't have to go through the trauma of oh man my parents are fighting about money you know um mums and dads losing their homes because businesses are failing like there's so much that can be done um, and the need is so big, I was only listening, I only heard like recently that ATO is now going after um, its debt book, which is I think it was 56 billion yeah. or something. Two thirds of that yeah. is small businesses, right? So who's in financial distress most of the time? Who's at risk of losing their homes? You know, now the interest rates have gone up, you know, 300%, you know, from 2% to 6%. Yeah. Yeah. Who are the people struggling? Who are the people who need advice? It's small business owners. Yeah. And and it's like there's a little boy inside me who's like, ah oh, man, remembering what it was like, my dad having to sell the house and and going through all that trauma and stress and bankruptcy and all those things. And it's like, I want to help that kid and I want to help, you know, that my dad and my mum and my family in that situation. And the way I can help them, I can't go back in time, but I want to help families now to to have that access, that mid-tier corporates have access to that sort of level of service and expertise
0: 100 percent. and it's, it's it's not an easy game to play um it comes with its own ups and downs and um i can see why the corporates um you know enjoy doing their work and um you can certainly charge a, a high more. net worth a lot more than you can a small business but there's no amount of um, dollars that can replace that value that you can add to a small business owner and to solve some of the things that you were just talking about and to Um, be able to pass and impute that value that you wish you got as a young age, at a young age as well. So very cool. Um, Now I started, for those of you who don't know as well, I started at uh, Latitude Accountants in 2016. That's
1: right, young Jacob.
0: That's it. So we had a similar business journey in that. uh, I went through them in tears, realized that these weren't my people. I was born to um, deal with small business owners uh, and that's part of what attracted me to accounting. So I needed to find a firm that aligned with that. And so that's when I started uh, Latitude Accountants. Um, Tufik uh, hired me and part of the conversation I had upon departing was Tufik on the phone to me being like, yeah, you know, uh, when are you starting? And I said, oh, I have to give two weeks notice and this or whatever it was, two to four weeks notice. He goes, no, 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 you start tomorrow. (laughs) And I said. (laughs) Urgency. I said, Tufik, what do you mean? I need to give my notice period this and that. And he goes, no, 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 you're starting on Monday. And by the way, do you know how to use zero? (laughs) And at the time, Zero was a brand new business software. And I said, no, Sufik, like I've I've, used, I think one client had it at the time. And he goes, all right, you're starting on Monday. Um, you're gonna teach someone how to use Zero. Teach someone how to, not you're gonna learn 0 You're yeah, gonna teach, teach someone to do a software you've never even touched. Come in and blast. Come in and blast. And so I spent the weekend learning. I said, no worries. And he put pressure on me and said, no worries, Sufik, I'll be there <laughs> on Monday. So we get in on Monday. Um, And I taught a client who I still have good contact with, actually. I taught a client in 2016 how to use Xero. And then he didn't tell me this, but in the meeting, the client also thought they were coming in to get a budget done as well. So I'm teaching him Xero and they said, okay, what about the budget? And I'd never done a budget in my life. And I said, yeah, let's do a budget. And so I built up. It was just natural. In
1: the mid-tier, they had uh, teams to do the budget. Like they had the the accounting clients did their budgets internally. They had an accounting team, whereas a small business... They don't have a you you're everything to them 100 you know I mean? yeah so
0: I, I i taught them how to use zero which was great i learned and taught how to use zero at the same time which was nice and then i did the budget and learned and taught how to do a budget at the same time built up the expenses put in some cogs put in some sales targets and off we went and it sort of just came naturally to be honest once you're in the numbers game you can sort of figure these things out there was no chat gpt at the time unfortunately to tell me how to do it but um you, you live and you learn So i'm at latitude accountants in 2016 and that's the environment i'm in right just figure it out let's let's service our clients to a great level um and let's just add as much value as we can much less systemized much less um processes um i always i say it was a bunch of talented people doing accounting and and tax returns i leave latitude accountants i think it was about 2019 And I think, you know what, Tufik, John, they're pretty good. I like what they're doing here. I I reckon I could have a crack at this myself. And I got that itch that you got and thought, you know what, I'm going to have a crack at this. And I started Advisory Corp Accountants, which was great. It was the best experience of my life. I learned so much more um, in in Advisory Corp than I had probably in my entire career, leveraging off what I learned at Latitude. I literally implemented that day one into advisory corp.
1: You never paid me for the IP. <laughs> <think>. <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, well, once you pay whole Chadwick, I'll then pay you <laughs> for, pay the old Chadwick for the IP. <laughs> <laughs> we are Hall we Chadwick. <laughs> yeah. So, um, no, no. So uh, I learned a lot and, and I applied a lot of what I learned and I grew a ledger pretty quickly. I was lucky off. I came in the industry and COVID happened pretty quickly. And no accounting firm is built to withstand JobKeeper, cash flow boost, and the media putting out new tax legislation overnight, and us having to learn that. And so, whilst a lot of the accountants were busy trying to do their buzzers and do this, I had zero dollars of revenue day one. So I would just I would produce a bunch of content about cash flow boost, about JobKeeper, and I would help clients who couldn't get in touch with their accountant, get in the door with them, help them on the front end, and then take over the tax and accounting and buzzers. And I loved it. I grew a, a really decent sized ledger, and I had a great time doing it. I learned a ton. But then it came to a point where I had a couple of senior accountants, and um, and then they wanted to go out and start their own business. Everyone in that COVID period wanted to start their own business generally. And then uh, I needed the systems, the back end, the processes. And part of uh, part of why we merged the firm was that we had have we obviously stayed in touch over that time. We'd had numerous conversations around. What latitude's doing, and the systems, and the processes, and the and the changes you're making in your business. So I leave in 2016. We're having these conversations throughout, you know, 2020, 2021, 2022, and then when I come back in 22, late 22, to chat about these things, you're showing me all these policies, procedures, vision, mission, purpose, values, all of these things that take a business from we're just a bunch of people doing a bunch of stuff to an aligned supercar that has all these well-oiled machines and parts moving in place to produce a great outcome for our clients and to to bring the team. Because what is a business? It's, it's people and its processes. And I'll drop another book recommendation. There's a book called The E-Myth, which talks about your transition from a technician to an operator to building a business similar to the cash flow quadrants um, from Robert, Robert Kiyosaki as well. Um, what happened How, yeah. where did that journey come from yeah between the time i left which i had a great time working there yeah and um but i had, also no. had a great time so what happened tell me what so
1: happened. i'll get accused of being the um the king of reinvention sometimes <laughs> because i like to reinvent and and I, if, if i'm guilty of anything it's always um i'm reinvent i'm recreating the plan all right so I love planning. I love I love making goals, um, but I'm also recreating the plan because every time you create a plan and you move a few steps forward, you um, you realize that when you get new information, the plan has to pivot. If you're just always operating on the old plan without any pivots or changes, then you're like a dinosaur that's not taking in the new sensory, the new data. You got to adjust for the new data. Yep. Mind the mindset shift is really what happened, right? So you left. Um, the firm was doing okay, but. Like I said to you, when we started the business, we were just kids, mid twenties, right? Now, when we got to a point, we quickly pick up twenty grand files at a time because when we, we're the whole accounts department, yeah. we're doing the bookkeeping, accounts payable, payroll, accounts receivable, paying the super, doing everything for them. You pick up a client, it's a twenty grand file. Next thing you know, you've picked up five clients, you've replaced your wage. Yeah. All right. So we got complacent, and it was a form of success. It just wasn't a great business model, right? So we, the form of success was we we replaced our wages in no time. Okay. We hired staff so we could deliver it, okay? And by hired staff, what I mean is I just collected people. (laughs) Like Beck came to me from KFC. You know, she's still with us today. She's a champion. I think Stephen was a a kid that we picked up at church because he was telling me, he was in high school and he was saying, I build gaming servers so people in Norway pay me money to play. I said, just come, we'll do accounting. (laughs) My brother was saying to me, I um, want to be a financial advisor. I said, yeah, finance, accounting, sounds good. Come, I'll teach you how to be (laughs) an accountant. I was collecting people and it was a little bit like of a tapestry of like, you know, just throwing everything in. Yeah. But the the success was that we were making enough money to live, like pay off the credit card, then live at that level where I'm like, okay, this is this is good, right? So what happened because the vision wasn't clear from like the 2012 to 2016, sort of the end period of you leaving, mm-hmm. is that It just became about like work-life balance, and we can talk about work-life balance, but Mm. it became like, okay, I'm making enough money, um, now I want to pursue interests. So what did I do? Naturally, I traveled the world. I saw Europe, I saw the States, I saw Asia, I went back to Lebanon a bunch of times, like I did all those things. Mm. I became an expert in all my interests. (laughs) I um, became a hunting expert, you know, the best hunter, I became the best golfer you know yeah. most expensive golf clubs you've ever you know still sit in my garage today <laughs> yeah. um i became an expert in four-wheel driving i bought a four-wheel drive you know uh, yeah. rock sliders and and lift kit and and <laughs> you know like decked out a jeep wrangler i love my jeeps you yeah, know yeah, um so like i'm 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 four-wheel driving now and and you know what what's the point of life um What's what's religion? Uh, I went to Bible college. I graduated Bible college. You yeah. know, I'm studying philosophy and, and theology, and I'm doing all these things, but none of them is my core purpose and my core drive. So my mindset is just like live like a king, like yeah. do everything I want to do. I'm making yeah, I'm making like 180 grand a year. I'm the king of the world. I don't need to. You know, accounting is – if, if anything too easy in a mm. sense in the early days and yeah. and the, the the success made me complacent mm. lost lost focus of who, who we're trying to help what we're trying to do yeah and as it happens in life i got hit with a wake-up call mm. um one of my interests was motorbikes mm. and um i happened to be riding a harley davidson one evening one sunday evening in 2018 and um my wife was on the back and um we got hit by a car so in that moment, like I still remember being hit by a car T-boned at full speed and like flying in the air with my eyes open, like watching myself fly over a crash scene and land um, and break you know, break bones and everything like right next to a telegraph pole. So, and then realize that like in that instant when you get hit by a car, um, like I had the wherewithal to be like, you know, you black out for a second, you open your eyes, you're looking up at the sky and I'm like, oh, my wife was on the back where's my wife so I try to get up and when I get up I realize that like the right side of my body's no good but I just like I'm limping and I go over and i find where she is and she's just gone under um, like a safety rail like this big metal rail where like she's just cleared it under also another telegraph pole and she's lying there and she's broken nine bones like she's no good I'm no good people start you know rushing up people phones out Auburn 2144 on- <laughs> <laughs> on on, on uh, Snapchat yeah. is filming us on the floor yeah, like yeah. we're dead. We should be dead. Like That's I should have I should have died, right? Yeah. Um, so Leber memes. <laughs> yeah, so I'm led yeah. By memes. I mean yeah. I'm, I'm 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 famous, but I, I I'm also like I'm literally I'm broken. And uh, I spend the next three months in hospital, um, partially for myself, but also I didn't leave my wife's bedside until she was out of hospital. She had to learn to walk again. It was it was very difficult, right? So when you're in hospital and, um, you know, you've had a really traumatic near life, near death experience, you start thinking about what's, what are you doing? Like, what's the point? Is the point to just chase all my interests is what, what value am I bringing to the world? And that really was the beginning of the mindset shift. So come out of hospital and I'm like, okay, I got to rebuild my life from scratch. Um, physically I have to get myself back to um, functional, my wife getting back to functional, no more playing golf, no more forward driving, hunting. Like I'm just trying to be functional, right? Get my body to be human. Um, and um, and that sort of fo- like it brought focus, like a narrowed, it really was the narrowing down of what am I here to do? What's the what's the you start asking the big questions about vision and, and purpose. So so the origin of the rebirth of Latitude Accountants was the bike accident. Mm-hmm. It was, I've almost died. Every day now is a gift. Mm-hmm. I should, I shouldn't be here. Um, how do I add value to the world? How do I help people? What's the, what's the point of my life now live out every day? Like it's a free gift because I shouldn't be here.
0: That's an incredible. story, And um, I don't recommend anyone getting into these bike accidents yeah, to, to have that, uh, to have that moment in their life. But we hear these, whilst uh, like unbelievable story, um, these are not uncommon in the entrepreneurs and the founders and the business owners who have that light bulb moment, have that shift in their mindset where something in their life triggers that that moment. It might be a motor vehicle accident, it might be a loss of a loved one, or it might be just something in their life. Um, and I would urge anyone listening to this story to take that as a reflection moment that you don't need to go through the experiences to yeah. have that mindset shift, but you can learn from other people's experiences um, and get that mindset shift over for yourself. So um, I, I want to touch on it as well. So you, 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 you're on your road to recovery around that period. You had lost a lot of weight. Um, and the, when I saw you, I can't like you'd done a lot of the work in the background there as well. You, you, you were in the hospital, you're doing a recovery, but when I saw you the next time I saw you, it was a different John, um, and I can attest for that being one of the catalysts of your life. I'm sure there's many, but um, you went from, you know, I couldn't recognize you walking in the street. I couldn't recognize who you were. You were you were so sharp. You were so well presented. You had that fire in your eyes. You can really you can really see that. You know who I you know who you know who it was likened to. Do you know how um you know how in the Rocky film uh Rocky gets out of his you know the sweat equity the 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 old the old gym and the, the 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 bad environment and then sort of propels himself into the more high class stuff and the more flashy gyms and the this and the that but you lose track of what your original purpose was and that purpose you talked about earlier where um you wish you could you could change your childhood by having a small business advisor that could get in there and tell tell your family what to do and how to how to um how to change your life through small business um so there's also a lesson in that i think in that you never forget your roots um and whilst you can have hobbies and interests and all these things are good you should never lose track of that main core how what am I what value am i adding to the world and how am i making um especially for us how am i making the small business kind to so go further um and how am i and that's so you know there's so many levers layers into that which we we discuss on a regular basis it's not just about small business owner and taking them to the next level it's it's truly what we believe about freedom what we believe about um wealth creation and how to bring people out of poverty and lift them into um better situations so it's an incredible story um and uh and, and and yeah unbelievable um all right cool so you you build you have that catalyst moment what do you focus next on what what are the Are you building procedures are you building systems like how do you take the business you have that moment in your life how do you then reflect that in your business
1: um we have to really take stock so tufik and i get together we get we we get involved with some consultants um, and really we we get a whole range of different um, uh, advice and everything comes back to you have to have a clear direction Okay, you have to work out what works, then you have to document it. Right. So we pretty much go on a journey where we're like, nothing's documented. Everything if Tufik and I were to both get hit by the car and die, the rest of the team is finished because all the processes are up here. Nothing's in in, on paper. Nothing's written. So we literally start coming in Saturday, Sunday, Saturday, Sunday, month after month to write down every single process in the business, how things should be done, um, document it all and then. We didn't just document it, we tabulated it, we formulated it all together, and then we started delivering it to training to the team and recording the training. So we're thinking we're thinking long term now. We're thinking, okay, we're going to grow the business. We've got a vision. We're going to help business owners. Every time we onboard a new employee, we can't have someone literally reinvent the wheel and explain everything from scratch. Like if we're doing training, we record the training. You know, we put it up in the cloud. It's there. It's accessible. When someone starts, they get a schedule. They know what the policies and procedures are. When staff need correction, we refer them to the policies and procedures. Policies and procedures, structure, organization, those efficiencies, they're the things that really get me excited. So it was a, the thrust of it was organization, um, documentation, doing things, we're accountants after all. This is our strong point. If we can't do this well, then how are our clients gonna do it well, all right? So we have to basically lead by example and Starting with the, the policies, procedures, and documenting, getting operations perfect—that's how we launch the new phase of the business.
0: That's epic. And like I said earlier, what what is a business? It's it's really two things: it's people and it's processes and systems. Um, so I think it's so important that once you get out of that scrappy phase, there always is a scrappy phase. If you're if you're day one trying to build, uh, you know, the best systems in the world, but you have no revenue, <laughs> you're going to run into issues. But once you get through that scrappy phase, that initial phase of just getting in revenue, building as you go, I think there is that moment where you need to build the systems, you need to build the processes, you need to hire, um, and there's something we'll, uh, we'll we'll touch on a little bit later. So. You have the journey. We've now got the systems. We've now got the processes. The people are aligned. So all these people you were collecting are now all on the same They're page. my Pokemon you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You often refer to it as your Pokemon are evolving. Yes. as Some would say so. Uh, the Pokemon are evolving. That the the business is evolving. You've got the systems and processes. Where are we today? So talk talk to me a little bit about where Latitude is today, um, and and where we're headed, and that vision that we've cast, and and what that means, and um. Yeah, expand a little
1: bit on that. So everything's led into the fact that small business is for us um, the thrust of what we do. We love small business. We're a small business. So we started small businesses ourselves. Um, all the client directors here, yourself too, if you can, I have gone on that journey. Um, w- small business is important because it's in, in a way it's the, um, the spine of society. Every single person in a small business is rewarded for their effort. Uh, it's a meritocracy. If you're not good, your business will fail. You take on responsibility for the sake of others. You take on responsibility for your clients, for your staff, you know, for your suppliers. You pay tax. The business owner often gets paid last, right? Mm-hmm. So, we we looked at this segment of society, and everything, all my life experiences, everything I know about, uh, you know, how society works, made us realize that the small business owner is the is the hero of society. Okay, they're the Unlike, and we've got no problems with people who don't work in small business, but generally if you're working in a big and, you know, listed company, you don't have skin in the game. If you're working in government, you know, um, on a – you know, very cushy job. You know, you have KPIs and things, but you don't have skin in the game the way a small business owner does. If you fail at your business, you might lose your job. You know, it doesn't mean you necessarily lose your house and all your investments, and you have to take your kids out of that school and put them in this school. Like it's it's real skin in the game. Mm. So we wanted to be there at the coal front, really working with these people. We said for us, it's about helping small business heroes achieve their goals and dreams. So what do we have to do to help them do that? M- you know, manage their numbers manage their tax, navigate the small business journey, we're experts in that, yeah. okay? We're like the guy who buries the talents, you know, yeah. the, the Bible degree coming to play, but you're burying your talent. If we know things about business and we're not doing that with people and and all of it has to come from a place of love. Yeah. I look at my dad, like my dad, it's, it's taken me my whole life to work out why I admire and love him. He, for me, is not like an academic financial genius or anything like that. Hasn't built a huge business or anything like that. But what he does so well is he just pours himself out for people. Okay, For me, that's the ultimate expression of the alpha or the masculine. It's Mm -hmm. to not think about yourself and pour yourself out for others. So for me, the vision of the business is people who work here, people who work in our team, You have to pour yourself out all your skills all your effort all your energy for small business owners show them where they're going wrong direct them instruct them okay be a guide to them help them go through the journey we've gone through okay because if you do that you'll make the world a better place okay you might come here you think you're doing tax returns you're not doing tax returns you're changing the world okay this is what we believe we believe we're changing the world we're helping moms dads we're stopping divorces we're helping kids that you know have to put up with financial trauma we're, we're doing things that have real world consequences we care about these people and that's the important thing is that we care about them 100%. jacob you can't actually help someone unless you genuinely love them all right so i no longer look at clients the way i used to oh, i've got to get to 180 200k a year and i'm sweet now it's time to play golf yeah no, it's like I'm getting a message at 10 p.m. on Instagram. I I need help with this budget or I need help pricing this job. And I'm thinking about that person. I'm thinking about that mum with the small, you know, dessert business that doesn't know how to do a budget, doesn't know how to price a job, she's worried about, you know, XYZ. I'm thinking about the guy who's worried he's gonna lose his house. It's a lot, it's love now. It's not about money. Money's not a good motivator. It's about love. All right. If you love the small business owner, if everyone here and our team loves a small business owner then we're going to produce a better result so going this is what we've built and this is how it is it's who do we love we love small business owners why do we love them how do we help them
0: 100 percent. and um you know I, i'm so glad you said it's not about the dollars it's really about how can we add value? How can we express that love that we have to small business owners? Our vehicle is accounting, right? That's, we do tax returns, we do financials, and we do we, we do the advice pieces and things like that, but it goes so much deeper than that. And I think when I was younger, especially those times where I'm just, it's just the numbers, it's just, they're just numbers on a page. You don't understand that. And so much people live life not fully understanding what their purpose is and just oh i got to pursue my passion and i got to do this and i got to do that but when you do something and when you get good at something when you understand the lives that you're changing and and the things that you're doing accounting no longer becomes just accounting it becomes changing the world so and and it's so hard, you know how hard it's so hard to compete with someone who is driven by that versus someone who's in it for the quick buck i we see hundreds of business owners who just go in and just want as quickly as possible. We need to make money and we're just going to make money so we can buy nice cars and buy nice and have nice lives and whatever. And it's so short term and so temporary. And you're never going to be able to compete with the guy who or the girl who's out there really purpose driven and is really just building a business because they know who they want to serve. They know the value they add and they really go after that. It's so powerful and it's so hard to compete with. So I love that we've developed that in house um, and um, I really look forward to the future, to be honest, and, and continue to serve out that purpose. So now I've just got maybe five, of, maybe five questions about the things you learned as a business owner. Um, and so the first one I've got is um, along your journey, we mentioned at the start, you, you had two business partners. Uh, so you started out, you had a couple of business partners. I don't, you were maybe naive at the time. I don't know that you knew the implications that some of those things could have especially because as an advisor now, I see businesses come together, people come together, friends come together, I see people fall out of business together and it is, it's is—it's not a nice uh, part of the business story. You've been able to hold the business relationship together for, for a very long time now, it's been over 10, 12 years. Uh, and I see it on a daily basis and I think I have an inkling on how you do it, but tell me about how you were able to stick out with someone else in business and the lessons you've learned in being in partnership as such with someone in business
1: yeah absolutely so partnership's a difficult thing i wouldn't be like i'd be lying to you if i didn't say at least three times a year every year for the last 20 years we've seen partnerships fail yeah Okay, so it's very important because we the first call when the partnership fails is the accountant. So half of what I do, I've sat in this boardroom this week on two occasions dealing with partnership disputes. It's it's not all like roses, it's not easy. But if you get the right person, there are there is a trade off. Everything in life is a trade off. There's risk. Okay, you're not going to like the person. But the trade off is the biggest one is the skills. Okay, if I look at myself and uh, Tufik, say, for example, um, Tufik is a master tactician, okay, he's a technical tax genius expert, okay, we're all tax experts and that, but I only give the genius tag (laughs) to certain people. Tufik is that tax genius expert level tactician. I'm a strategist and an operator, okay? I'm a big picture guy, a visionary type, right? I look at you, you bring, um, you're a marketing powerhouse. You bring marketing skills to the table. You understand the way people perceive things in a different way. No one person has the skill set of the conglomerate group. You know what I mean? The whole, the group always has more skills than a single person. If you always go one out as a founder, you're guaranteed gonna be short in some areas, okay? There's elements where, having the partnership, you're gonna actually outthink, outmaneuver, outcompete your competition. Okay, because the power in numbers, okay. You can't deny that. It's a fact. Now you have to mitigate around the issues, all right, the people issues and the legal issues. Okay. With the people issues, trust and respect is of paramount importance. If you can't trust and respect, you don't have a partnership okay and if you don't trust and respect the person as soon as trust is broken as soon as someone's stealing from someone yeah. as soon as someone's talking about someone behind their back yeah. the, that's that's the day when the business has failed so it's in a way like marriage yeah. trust once trust is gone the marriage is broken on the legal side you have to have a shareholders agreement now i'm not talking about it cuz shareholders agreements are the be all and end all it's about having the conversation up front so there's not any unspoken expectations. It's this is what I expect if we wanted to go our separate ways. This is what I expect you to do. This is what I expect um, that I will do my responsibilities and yours. Okay. It's about having transparency from day one so that you and your partner are on the same page. Now we sat down and we did our MOU memorandum of understanding. We wrote down what that was on day one, and when unless we all agreed on changing those terms, they never changed. Yeah. Okay. That everyone did what they said they were going to do everyone stuck to their strengths and trust and respect that bond was not broken now it doesn't mean it never will be and doesn't mean this partnership will be forever all partnerships come to an end at some point but as long as they're fruitful as long as that there isn't, um there's that communication where everyone is doing what is expected of them then there's a good chance it will it will succeed and then you get all the benefits that come with doing things in numbers we hire like the delivery of 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 the service I couldn't hire. I couldn't go and get the lease in Parramatta, start the office, do that, buy all the software, and hire staff from day one on my own. Mm. Soon as there was three of us, we hired staff in the first month. Okay, so I could go out and focus on being a founder while having staff in accounting, to, although we had to train them and teach them, do some of the legwork. Okay, um, when things went bad and we had distress, and we had clients failing, or we had legal issues or problems. I had i had someone i could i could get too thick i want to rest my head on your shoulder a bit he cried on my shoulder i cried on his i never cried a day in my life but you get the idea right it's like we were there for each other it's when you're at your worst time when i got hit by the by the car and i came off a motorbike i didn't lose my whole client base i had a team there that kept things turning Okay, and kept the doors open while I was recovering from a life-threatening accident. Mm. How do you do that if you're a one-man band? How do you do that if you're all on your own? Can't do it, right? So so partnership is not easy and there's no silver bullet to make it perfect. You have to understand the risks and you have to have your eyes open to the risks. And when you do it well and you're aware of the risks and you prepare for them, that's how you make the partnership work.
0: Absolutely. And there's a quote that comes to mind that says, if you want to go fast, you go alone. But if you want to go far, you go together. And nice. that was honestly one of the catalysts, even in my business, where I was the the sole practitioner, the sole operator. And that was part of the you know, when you sat me down and said, Jacob, accounting is a complex game. There are so many moving parts. And over the last 10 years, it, it's evolved so much. There's so much more red tape. There's so much more admin. There's so much more you need to be across and having that leverage of people in business, and it's probably the same in every industry, is paramount. So I'm glad you shared so much insight. And and to be honest, I wanna give you a compliment here as well. There are obviously personal things that, you know, people don't know about in business and things like that. And, um, you know, there was obviously, some, there's been some personal things that I've seen you and Tufik encounter on a more personal note, but together as a, as a front, you've always been very united and, even in the public square and and outward facing, regardless of what's happening in the business, the two founders, the, the the people in business together were so united outside looking in. And I think that's so important as well. And I often there's an analogy between partnerships and marriages, right? Where the world could be falling apart, but your job, I believe, as a parent together is to give your child that room to just be happy and to live and to not know and to be a little bit naive to what's going on in the outside world and to protect them and to have that united front where internally there could be, you know, you and Toby could be talking about something, but to your staff, to your people, to your, uh, to your vendors, to everyone, you're that united front and you're that stronghold. And it's a lot of responsibility and there's a lot, a lot, lot in that, but I've always respected that about you and I've seen that at a practical element um, so, I thought that was worth noting as well. Thank you. Um, no,
1: that's that's good. I, I'll I'll just say that that has to be genuine. Yeah. Whatever, what you know, there's there's congruence, right? Yeah. Wherever, no matter what it is, the truth comes out. So you, yeah. if there's if it's a true partnership, yeah. Um, the the fruits will show it.
0: Yeah. So John, changing gears, you've got a quote in your office uh, that talks about failures and learning from your failures. It's actually a Michael Jordan quote, so I uh, very much uh, love it. Um. Tell me a bit about the failures you may have had at a personal or a business level, and how you learnt from those failures, and and how it's made you the person you are today.
1: Absolutely, um, I think the difference between people who really try to do things and not, or succeed, or you know, or don't don't, are really the people who don't try. So it's it's really about trying, and and you can't fear you can't fear failure. Um, I think, I think the fear of failure is paralyzing in and of itself. So in my, my life, there's many, many things that like really my life's a tapestry of failures that i patch together and try improve 1% each time to produce a good result. You said that when you saw me after a few years, um, leaving, you know, and then we got in touch again, I transformed my appearance. Um, at my heaviest, I got to 170 kilos, so you know sitting today at normal 90 kilos or whatever it is it's a big difference you Mm know almost 80 kilos lighter than my peak and that was like there wasn't a with that a, a silver bullet as well there wasn't one thing it was like i tried so many things um post you know post high school um to lose weight because i i was working in an office environment i kept putting on weight i kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger every year it wasn't like instant it was gradual it was five kilos a year five kilos a year trying to work out how to be an accountant how to be a hunter how to be a four-wheel driver how to be finish bible college how to you know do all these things uh, and what my weight is something i'll do with later so it, it came down to f- try something if it doesn't work pivot Try something. that doesn't work. Pivot and and exhaust every possible option until I can lose lose weight. And eventually, I did do it. Eventually, with the right mix of every type of help available, every fad diet, every type of um, you know surgical, non-surgical intervention, whatever it is. There's no there's no for me. Um, uh, no shame in like trying everything you possibly can to succeed. And then when you find out what works, then you've done it. So. Um, the personal failures in in managing my weight is something that I did eventually overcome. And I'm very happy with where I stand today. And, and I feel good and 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 I feel like I, you know, I look good. On a business front, my biggest failures have always been around a lack of due diligence, right? So I've got this thing where I, I'm very confident to jump in. So like I jump into things pretty confidently. And every time I've been burnt, it's got to do with a lack of due diligence. So uh we've done a bunch of mergers um whether it's hiring staff or it's taking on new clients whatever it may be if you're not doing your due diligence just taking a breath maybe like counting to 10 assessing doing a little bit of front end work before you dive in and um, that could save you a lot of work on the back end and i think my love of working by trial and error often i often don't look back and go look at what's obvious how is this obviously not good All right, and respect that information a bit more rather than say, yep, I can see how this is obviously not good. I'm still going to try it. You don't have to go ahead, try, fail to learn the lesson. And and you touched on that before. Yeah,
0: cool. So a lot around picking your failures as well and making sure you do the due diligence. Absolutely. I was actually listening to a song this morning by 50 Cent that said – if I can't do it, homie, it can't be done. And it, and it goes around. It's funny, but it goes around. Some of these rappers have some great lyrics. Yeah, the, the, the prophets and of our the, modern age. It. And it goes around. The reason he's able to confidently say that is if I keep trying and if I keep pushing and opening every door and making sure I've exhausted all options, if I can't, if if I've done all that, it can't be done like there's So there's so much lessons in trying everything, yeah. failing a million times. And just learning along the way and if you can't make it work after it. All those that was shows, his album you as well. get journey. rich or die trying that's it yeah, exactly. yeah I mean, it's that so, attitude absolutely very cool very cool um all right now john i'm gonna say a word uh that i think is going to um just make you feel like you're on top of the world here and the word is efficiency because uh, uh internally two figures the tax genius but you're the efficiency genius so tell me a little bit about efficiency what that means to you and how important that is in business
1: everything in my life that isn't efficient is a great source of frustration like you could ask people how patient i am i'm the most patient person you've ever met people, my wife actually says to me i don't know how you're just so patient it takes you so long to get upset with you know my kid or whatever um i'm impatient when it comes to inefficiency right and i think that's all ine- all efficiency is is like intelligent laziness yeah okay so i look at efficiency as I don't want to do something twice okay so if i'm labeling a file label it correctly so i can find it later if someone says i'm going to have a meeting i'll put it in my calendar so i don't have to miss the meeting i'm trying to avoid future pain i'm trying to avoid future work all right so in a way it's like glorified laziness and i'm the most you know lazy person no one would say that if they look at me because i do everything but in a way, I'm the most lazy person because I don't want avoidable work. I don't want to create more unnecessary work for myself later. So I try to instill that in myself and people around me. You can not upset me any other way than doing something that I deem is inefficient. All right. So in a way, I'm driving all the time f- to make people more organized, structured, use your task list, use your checklist, organize your emails. One of my favorite metrics for a staff to work out if they're on top of it or if they're in chaos is to look at the inbox and say, how many emails are in your inbox? If you got fifteen thousand emails in your inbox, you're not. You, I don't care what you think. You're not organized and you're inefficient. Okay, your inbox has to be cleaned out, categorized, organized. There has to be a system. There could be a method to the madness, but most people that's a cop out. They just say, "Oh, yeah, I've got a method." Your method is you wait till what falls over first, and then you go attend to that. That's not a method, right? So efficiency and, and reducing avoidable work for me is a way you generate, you add value. And what's value at the end of the day? It's profit. Okay so efficiency yeah 100 percent.
0: i'm glad you explained it that way um and for someone who like people who are efficient this is like sound porn <laughs> they're, gonna, <laughs> they're gonna love this but i'm gonna say it into them yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah so no i i love that so that's a excellent lesson in efficiency from one of the most efficient people i know thank you um and finally john You've hired quite a few people. You do with the hiring um, in the business. And part of your role as a, finder, as a founder is to find and retain talent, which is an extremely difficult thing to do now with the unemployment rate of like 3.5% and no, no one can find staff and everyone wants top dollar and there's so much competitive spirit in the marketplace for hiring at the moment. How are you as a founder finding talent, retaining that talent, and building them as part of your organization.
1: I joked with you not, not long ago about Pokemon, right? (laughs) I I just got to catch them all. I see people like Pokemon. I I collect them and I'm like, this person is here right now, but I can see them getting to this stage and then I can see them getting to this stage. Like there's a a stage three evolution on every person. (laughs) So as a leader, you have to find a way to inspire, right? Without a vision, the people perish. You have to create a vision. You have to unite everyone around the vision. Then you have to know your team, right? knowing your team means how are they strong, but more importantly, how are they weak? Okay. You understand their personalities. You understand their personality flaws. You're going to isolate why this person is stuck in a rut and how you get them to the next level. It, you have two guys, right? You know, same salary, same, same super <laughs> contribution. You get two guys. They're exactly the same in every way, but person A struggles with attention to detail. Person B struggles with distraction, okay? This person struggles with um, being organised. This person struggles with um, people skills. This person um, struggles with being told what to do. This person struggles giving orders. As soon as you identify, like the secret code to people management is identifying where they're weak and giving them the tools, the skills and training to get them to the next level. If you're doing this with people, they don't translate it as, John's trying to make me more efficient. They translate it like this john loves me yeah, okay 100%. and you only work for john if john loves you yeah okay you have to love your people and you love your people by finding out how to make them improve how to help them improve reinvesting in that getting everyone united to the same goal and vision and everyone rowing the boat in the same direction
0: that's such a unique perspective because i feel like so many business owners just see people as an employee, it means to an end, I need this task done and I need a person to do the task and so therefore that's the employee. But when you humanise it like you just did, it is so much more powerful and there's so much more vibrance in the relationship and motivating people to do what's required of them and to do what they want to do um, and, and to motivate them. So excellent. John, mate, it's been an absolute pleasure um, filming this podcast Thanks, and interviewing mate. you. Um and I'm sure all million of our listeners <laughs> um, got so much value out of this. So, um, mate, for anyone who doesn't know, where can they find Latitude Accountants? If I can point them to a direction, because I'm sure they listen to these podcasts All it feels like a yeah. uh, flu, but where, where would I point them to? Uh,
1: LatitudeAccountants.com.au Perfect. online. We're based in Sydney Olympic Park and Marrickville in Sydney. Uh, you can find us on Instagram as well. Very cool. um, but yeah, just Google Latitude Accountants. We're not like Latitude Financial Services. Yeah, great. That's that's the disclaimer. Beautiful.
0: All right. Thanks for your time, John. Thanks for coming in. Thanks, mate.
1: Cheers.